This is Deacon Greg sharing Walking in the Way of Love. Way of Love. Today I am sharing the first half of a recent message from the presiding bishop of the Episcopal Church, Bishop Michael Curry, and he called it, What Did Jesus Do? And now in the name of our loving, liberating, and life-giving God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. This November, the people of the United States will elect a president and many others to public office. This election occurs in a time of global pandemic, a time when there is hardship, sickness, suffering, and death. But this election also occurs in a time of great divisions, divisions that are deep, dangerous, and potentially injurious to democracy. So what is the role of the church in the context of an election being held in a time such as this? What is our role as individual followers of Jesus Christ committed to his way of love in such a time as this? Allow me to offer a text from the Acts of the Apostles the introduction to the Acts from the first chapter. Luke writes, in the first book, referring to the gospel of Luke, in the first book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus did and taught from the beginning until the day when he was taken up into heaven. In the first book, I wrote about all that Jesus did and taught all that he did, all that he taught. In a powerful sermon preached at the July meeting of the House of Bishops, Bishop Scott Hayashi of Utah said something that might be helpful to us. He made mention of, you know, the little acronym, what would Jesus, WWJD, what would Jesus do? And he said that that can be a helpful way of discerning what we might be being called to do at any given time. But he offered another alternative. He said, what would happen if we began to ask the question, not what would Jesus do, but what did Jesus do? What did he do? What did he teach? What do Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John tell us that Jesus did and taught. I want to suggest that addressing that question, what did Jesus do, and summoning the Spirit to help us apply it to our lives and to our times, may mean the difference between the church simply being another religious institution that exists for its own sake, and the church being a Jesus movement that courageously follows the way of Jesus and his love, not for its sake, but for the sake of the world that Christ gave his life for and rose from the dead in. As you know, the Episcopal Church does not endorse, support, or oppose political candidates for elective office, and there is good reason for that. First, In the United States, tax-exempt religious and charitable organizations are by law 
prohibited from such endorsement, support, or opposition to candidates. This does not prohibit churches from engaging in voter education, voter registration, helping people get to the polls to vote, or even advocating for issues of public policy reflective of the tenets of our faith. And every citizen, of course, including those of us who are members of the church, have our rights and responsibilities as well. Secondly, there are good and faithful followers of Jesus Christ who are Episcopalian. Some are Republican, some are Democrat, some are independents, some liberal, some centrist, some conservative. And just as we must respect the right of every citizen to cast his or her own vote according to the dictates of their conscience, so we must do so in the church, the body of Jesus Christ. And that is how it should be. The Bible says we have one Lord, one faith, one baptism, not one political party. But it's important to remember that partisan neutrality does not mean moral neutrality. Partisan neutrality bidden to us by human civil law does not mean moral neutrality bidden to us by the royal law of Almighty God. And this may be where our text helps us. Go back to the text. In the first book, O Theophilus, I wrote all that Jesus did and taught from the beginning until he was taken up into heaven. When Luke says the first book, he's referring to the gospel. But notice what he does so skillfully. Ancient tradition says that, that Luke was a physician. And we know that this Luke was the author of both the gospel and the Acts of the Apostles. And tradition says he was a physician. And you can see elements of that throughout both books. But in this text, Luke the physician sounds more like Luke the lawyer. In this text, Luke is, is suggesting that the Jesus we see in, in the gospel, what he did and what he taught is precedent. It is the precedent for how those who would follow him will act and live in their days and in their times. Just as precedents are critical to the law, the precedent of Jesus is critical to the life of those who would follow him in the first century or in the 21st century. When Jesus says that the entire law and will of God is summed up in the words, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself, that's precedent. When Jesus told the parable of the Good Samaritan about somebody who, as that old song says, if I can help somebody along the way, then my living will not be in vain. When he tells the parable of the Good Samaritan of somebody who helps somebody else, 
even though they were a different religious tradition, even though they were of a different ethnic group, even though they may have differed in their politics, differed in their worldview, differed in virtually everything except the fact that they inhale oxygen and exhale carbon dioxide. Even with all of those differences, he helped him because that person, that man was a human child of God created in the image of God. Jesus says, now who was neighbor to the man? This is what loving your neighbor looks like. And then Jesus says, go and do likewise. That's precedent. And in the Sermon on the Mount, when Jesus says, blessed are the poor and the poor in spirit. When Jesus says, blessed are those who are compassionate and merciful. When Jesus says, blessed are the peacemakers. When he says, blessed are, are, are those who hunger and, and thirst and labor for God's righteous justice to be done on the earth for all. When Jesus says, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. When he, when he says, love your enemies. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who despitefully use you. My sisters, my brothers, my siblings, that is the precedent for what it means to follow in the way of Jesus in the first century or the 21st century. St. Paul heard and knew these teachings of Jesus and he summarized their meaning. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Henry David Thoreau, Mahatma Gandhi, Martin Luther King, all spoke of this as the nonviolent way of love. The task of the church in the first century or 21st century is to live by the precedent, to bear witness to the precedent, and lift up the values of the precedent of Jesus in our time. Because as the book of Hebrews says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. What would Jesus do? So what can we do? Well, we can vote as individuals, we can vote. And we can help others to register and to get to the polls and cast their vote. We can encourage others to vote as their conscience leads them. And I know someone is probably thinking that's true. But what does that have to do with Jesus Christ? What does voting have to do with the gospel? What does voting have to do with being a Christian? An election for public office is not a popularity contest between two or more people. It's a contest of ideas about how to shape the future of a community, nation, and maybe even a world. It's a contest, a debate, a discernment of moral values and their relationship to public policy. Voting is an act of moral agency. It is an act of moral discernment and decision. It is how a community or a nation decides how the moral values that it holds and shares shape public policy and the lives of people, the children of God. It is salutary to remember 
that partisan neutrality does not mean moral neutrality. The vote is so sacred and important for all people, regardless of your religious tradition or your politics or your nationality, the vote as an act of moral humanity is so important that people have given their lives for it. If you don't believe Michael Curry, ask the people of Belarus right now. Ask the American martyrs who sacrificed, gave their lives, gave that last full measure of devotion so that people might have the right to vote. Ask Michael Schroener, ask James Cheney, ask Andrew Goodman in Mississippi, ask the martyrs of Selma, Viola LaRusso, Jimmy Lee Jackson, Jonathan Daniels, America's soldiers have fought to defend freedom. Many of them have given their lives and many of them live with wounds and the scars of war. And one of the freedoms they defended was the freedom, the right and the responsibility of the vote. John Lewis in his last published writing before his death said, and I quote, the vote is the most powerful nonviolent change agent that you have in a democratic society, end quote. Thank you for joining me on my walk in the way of love. Until next time, stay safe and healthy and live in the power of the Holy Spirit.